Well, hello, welcome to, and what do you do? This episode was a chance to speak with Sarah, who works in the shipping industry, in charting and logistics. But, as Sarah herself says right at the start, unless you already know what that is, the title itself doesn't tell you much. So, it's all about what the job actually involves. And this episode is perhaps a little bit more about the industry in general uh, this time around. Fair warning, we had a couple of issues with the sound, nothing major, but there are a couple of uh, thuds and clicks here and there. Anyway, uh, I'll be back at the end with a few bits and pieces, but until then, let's get into the episode itself. Okay, well, I've been joined by another guest, but tell me, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Ed. My name's Sarah. My full job title is Chartering and Logistics, but frankly, that won't really tell you anything. Um, So I guess very broad brush, what my job role entails is fixing tanker vessels to carry molasses all around the world, which the traders in my company buy and sell all around the world. Wow. Okay. So straight away, this this is a world that I'm not familiar with at all. What do you mean by fixing? I mean, are you talking sort of mechanically fixing? <laughs> That's a good point, because you forget how much vocabulary you just acquire in the job. I, to explain briefly what fixing means, it is agreeing a contract. It's basically the equivalent of, I'm booking a taxi. Right. The terminology in shipping is to, you put a vessel on subjects, which means you've agreed the majority of what you're going to do, how much you're going to pay, where it's going to go from and to how much it's going to carry. And then when you've got everyone else agreed that that's what we're going to do, then it's formally fixed. Now, I just fell into this industry, I must say, 10 years ago, I didn't know any of these words either and wondered how people could speak this completely different language. Um, It's funny how quickly you get absorbed into the world. Okay, I mean, forgive me because I might be being completely naive here. But you're talking about molasses here. So is it that these are ships capable of carrying almost anything and you're trying to, um, if I'm not using this incorrectly, fix the ship for your specific needs? Or is it more that there's a sort of molasses industry and you're trying to fix your particular share of it? I don't know if that question even makes sense, but I'm I'm just trying to... Okay, so when most people hear shipping, they automatically think of container ships, which obviously the ones that you also see all around the world, and you see containers on trucks moving on land as well. Sure. Now, there's this other market, which is, again, you'd then have all the dry products being moved and all the wet products. Now, obviously, for those, you'd need tanker vessels. So essentially, you'll take a full ship and it will have maybe eight tanks, 12 tanks, 32 different tanks, which you would fill the product in directly. So it's pumped from the shore onto the ship. The ship will sail from A to B, and then the ship will pump it into a tank wherever it needs to be. So I would fix specifically vessels within the tanker market. Again, back to your question, there isn't a specific molasses vessel. The whole industry I work in is very, very small. Obviously, for me, it's very important that most other people haven't even heard of molasses or what it is 
which frankly I hadn't even myself. I had to use Wikipedia before the interview. But the sizes that we deal in, to give you some context, I'll be moving anything from about 3,000 tonnes up to maybe 45,000 tonnes on a vessel from, say, India to Europe. Is this because it's a, a sort of optimization problem? You know, if, if you're a sort of smaller market, is it that you're trying to make sure that you sort of squeeze in, if you like, even if you're talking about huge quantities, um, is it that you're saying, well, okay, well, this tanker can do this, but it's 90% full already. I can put X amount into this one rather than have the tanker, you know, leave port with 10% capacity left. Yes, certainly sometimes that would be that you can lo load a part cargo. Um, I think what's more common in the tanker market is that you would take the whole vessel and load one product or all of your products, which may be different grades, on one vessel to go from A to B. There is a subsection, which is you would call it parceling up, where you'd have one vessel with four different cargoes on it going to maybe four different ports. Why things are moved is simply just, and this is why I got into this whole industry and found it interesting, is it just comes down to physically goods are produced somewhere or made somewhere. I mean, we're talking about resources. Molasses is a byproduct from the sugar industry. So as you know, you know, sugar cane isn't grown in London. Sugar That's cane okay. is grown in India or El Salvador and Guatemala and those kind of countries more around the equator. That just comes down to physically how the, la the land is. And then similarly, the supply, however, is a lot will also be local and just done internally and maybe also trucked into different countries. Um, but ultimately then to get bigger movements, that's then when you get the ships involved. And I think the whole shipping industry, actually, it's an industry that not many people think about so much when you look around the room and about 90% of what you have in the room will have been on a ship at some point. Now, that could have been right at the start when something was made, or as you probably know, I'm pretty sure my laptops probably come from somewhere in Asia, but then also the wood, wood used to build the wardrobes that are behind me, um, that wood may have been brought over from somewhere else as well. So I just remember being told this, but 90% number, and it's really st stuck in my head when you start thinking, where's, where does all this stuff come from that we have? I, I think it's maybe that people sort of know about airplanes. Uh, you know, that's, that's not necessarily new technology, but they think, well, that's fast. So people must just load things into planes and fly them around all the time. But uh, you're right. I mean, you can go on any of these uh, sort of ship tracking websites and you can sort of have a little look at and and you know the world is crowded with with ships sort of indeed i mean the, the numbers the numbers are just fascinating as you say when you go on you can track where airplanes are coming from you can also see nowadays where ships are coming from and mm. it is pretty cool when you just open this map and it will show you all the, the tankers in the world and it's just dots all over the oceans and it it needs to be done which is i think why i was this job appealed to me working in this industry it's very much more I'm saying hands-on even though I'm not necessarily on a ship that's definitely what my grandparents um, thought I did. You were um, away to sea? Well I think they couldn't understand how I could do my job without being on a ship and I guess that comes down to nowadays with technology you can do a lot more basically I just need a, a phone and email and that's how I can arrange to load 30,000 tons of product in India 
um, and bring it to Europe and discharge in three different ports in Europe, get all the personnel that need to be there to inspect the cargo, um, get the agents who will look after all, everything that the ship needs in the ports. And it, it's all just email and phone call nowadays. You must have to deal with a bewildering array of different legal systems and sort of union rights, I guess, and, and working conditions and things like that. Are you now an expert across the whole world? Luckily, most most law we bring back, we try and make everything in English law if possible. Um, now, that isn't always... Most, most contracts actually govern in English law, which is also just a historical thing because since forever... The English did build up quite a an impressive, I'd say, fleet and also just maritime. We are a maritime nation. Uh, and I think especially London and the UK was then always deemed as the capital and that's where things started. So overall, you then also have a couple of other countries like Singapore that have also gained some dominance. But yes, you deal with different, it's not just legal systems, it's also different cultures. So as an example, and I, I am trying not to stereotype, but just from the experience that we've had in our industry, for example, when dealing in, say, Indonesia, if you ask a question if something's possible, they struggle to say no because they don't want to let you down. They want to be very positive about it all. So it'll sure. always say, they'll say, yes, it's all possible and we can do this and great, yes, but that isn't always the case. <laughs> And sometimes it would be easier if someone just said, no, that doesn't work. Um, so I think actually more than legal systems, you need to be aware of different cultures and how they operate. And then also remembering time zones also come into it, um, as well as even not everyone works a Monday to Friday week. Yeah. So you need to remember that you can't start discussing about loading a vessel in Egypt on a Friday. You'll have to wait till Sunday when they work. Of course. Now, you might not want to work on Sunday, but if that's when you're going to get your answer, then you will need to deal with it on Sunday. And can it be entirely done from your office or do you on occasion have to physically travel to go and sort things out? I guess it depends. There's different roles. I'd always want to say yes, because I love traveling and going right. to different places. But it's all seeing it in context. And I think the main thing you need is people locally who you can work closely with. Especially in Asia, we, for example, have a team within our company who have been there for a long time. So they will get an awful lot sorted during their local hours and working there. And you can then rely on them to convey the information. And when I wake up in the morning, I can then have a quick update and we know what's happening. Sometimes though it is, you just need to go out and say, see the port for yourself, see the setup, especially if we're starting a new business. Say a couple of years ago, we started exporting from Djibouti, which we'd never done before. I, for one, had to first of all figure out how to spell Djibouti and know exactly where it actually is. Because I think all of us, <laughs> okay. we have a rough idea of where countries are. but. Sure. Uh, when you're sending a ship there, you, you need to know more specifically where it is. Of course. And for that, then, for example, my colleague did go out and fly there, see the terminal set up, meet the people who we were contracting with, 
basically it, it's some coming down to simple shaking someone's hand looking them in the eye and figuring out how we're going to get the business done so yes you certainly need travel which again is one of the aspects that appealed to me and why um i got into the business so this is somewhat uh, generic as a question but i do like to ask what's the most difficult part of the job mm, i'm trying to not taint my answer by today when i would say if if people just saw my point of view and the vessel that i'm trying to fix is the right vessel for the problem we have right now and other people are not accepting that but overall i think it's the what attracts me most and also what doesn't is it's very much a people focused business you have to convince and persuade people say an owner to give you the ship for the freight that you're willing to pay they'll obviously want a higher number you'll want the lowest number you need to convince someone to maybe try and start loading a vessel two three days earlier than they wanted to it's yeah I think it's dealing with the different people involved and obviously everyone's got different aims and what they need to achieve in their day does it tend to attract then I mean I know it's not it's simply a case of dividing the world into these two types of people Mm. but does it tend to attract sort of extroverted people or introverts do you know i've never really thought about that um it seems like you'd have to be quite kind of calculating but then mm. when push came to the shove you'd have to be able to be forceful enough to make your position the most advantageous i suppose maybe that's not even introvert extrovert maybe that's just Yes. Something else. I th- I think that I, I would describe that differently because I think the introvert extrovert you you really need both because obviously you need um, someone to go out and present the company and make things happen, but you also need someone. And again, maybe that's me stereotyping on the what an introvert does, but who's looking after all the details. Sure. So maybe we I should more say you need an outgoing person and you also need a detail orientated person and i wouldn't necessarily want to say that is also always matches an introvert and an extrovert right okay i see um so one thing i was interested in was is it nerve-wracking to deal with large quantities of well sort of product but also i i I suppose we are talking about the vehicles and the amount of money you're playing with some pretty big toys does that get to you? Does that add to stress? Or are you just following principles and you think, well, it just applies to something that's quite big scale? Um, as a colleague once said, it's always easier to spend someone else's money. Sure. And that definitely helps when it's not you that has to pay $1.8 million to charter the vessel to go from A to B. But it, the scale is pretty impressive. And again, that's why I'd like especially if, say, vessels come to the UK to go and actually visit a vessel, go on board it, you know, just, to, I guess, to give some people context, the kind of sizes we're dealing with, if I'm talking about moving 45,000 tonnes, the vessel lengths will be about 183 metres long. It will be about 32 metres wide and about maybe 11, 12 metres deep in the water. So, it's impressive just to look at. It's also then the amount of money that's effectively on the ship in 
cargo form is quite um, astonishing as well as and if you think even just what the ship is worth which is you know, several tens of thousands of, of millions sorry of um, pounds or dollars so you also want to make sure that the ship fits into the port you're sending it to and not that all of a sudden en route it sort of hits the hits the bottom and develops a leak similarly I remember quite early on when I started when I first joined it was actually Tate and Lyle who I worked for is obviously a big sugar company and we were being sold off and setting up on our, our own and because we we're having to deal with moving all the contracts from our own name Tate and Lyle to the new company I was told at the time because they hadn't got this one document a big customer wouldn't pay um, because I hadn't sent them this one signed document which then meant they weren't going to pay their invoice which was for 6.4 million US dollars which is a graduate trainee age 23 I I nearly wet myself until it was pointed out that this is one of the big large corporates there's one producer actually and they will just find any excuse not to pay they delay paying sure but it's it's Uh large money we're playing with and as you say large large toys on the on the um on the water and then again more people employed because if you think you've also got maybe 20 30 crew members on board as well and i mean i'm I'm not i don't want to make it sound like i'm sort of enjoying this but have there been any real sort of disasters that you've had to cope with in your time when someone says disaster, I guess there's a couple of ones you think. First of all, you think um, of vessels sinking, which luckily haven't happened in my time, but have happened in uh, to our company. Um, it's about, 20, must be 25 years ago now. Yes, that a vessel sank on its way from Mauritius to Europe. Um, it was right. an old vessel. Uh, luckily, no crew lost their lives. Um, it was a slow sinking which meant that they were able to escape we have had a vessel touch bottom um which means sorry touch the bottom of the um ocean and then have to make sure that there's no big damage i guess the biggest issues i've had to deal with in my time um because also nowadays everyone's a lot more health and safety focused so there's not the same accidents that happened 40 50 years ago um the biggest issues we've had would be contamination okay. because obviously the product we have is mainly would go into animal feed so you also need to make sure that there's no remnants from the last cargo which might have been gas oil you don't really want gas oil ending up in your molasses of course so we then need to ensure the ships are cleaned before the cargo is loaded but it has happened that once or twice you could end up in a port and then there's a an investigation if there has been a contamination or not again luckily it's never been anything bad and it's certainly never been gas oil in my time and um sorry this is diverting somewhat but it's just such an interesting industry i mean are there specialist cleaners that then go and yep make the ship 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 <laughs> if that makes if that makes sense um in, indeed i mean yes there are specialist cleaners but actually it's the crew the bulk right, of the okay. time it would be the crew because you could be on some forsaken port in the middle of nowhere 
So the majority of time it would be the crew going in and it is still quite physical manual sometimes towards the end. Um, you can you will obviously have a bit like in a car like you'd have steam you can apply to the tanks to sort of wash the walls down and then you'd also have to inject a bit of detergent in as well. So there's a whole program actually that ships have to follow if they've carried one product and then they're going to carry another product next what exact cleaning requirements are needed in order for them to meet the requirements to be certified as clean. Sure. But there are in certain ports, especially if vessels need a quick turnaround, and I'm thinking more in, say, the ARA area, which is Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Antwerp. So just, again, I'm now more aware of the terminology I'm using. In their ships coming in maybe have a higher turnover need a quicker turnaround in which case they might even hire specialist crews to come in because they will just get it done quicker and also the crew on board might actually need to be sleeping because they've been discharging throughout the night and they'll need to go off somewhere else so within within the industry then is there a this might not even make sense as a question is there like a dream assignment or a a sort of I suppose with the work you do, it's not so much creative freedom, but if there was a a sort of goal that you could accomplish, what would that be? Um, I guess first, if I go back to the dream assignment, that would be something like back in the day, you would have to send a surveyor maybe out to Fiji to inspect cargo tanks. And then unfortunately, the ship's delayed. So you're in Fiji a few days early. Right, and I see might that, have to yeah. rely on a beach. <laughs> now, okay. nowadays, with um, just also the uh, development, I mean, there's so many more flights going here, there, and everywhere, and they can be booked last minute. And you can also track the vessels better to then know the actual ETAs taking yeah. the weather forecast into account. There aren't these unforeseen delays that there used to be so much. So, that would be like the dream assignment. For me, what I'd like to achieve is more. Ideally, and it won't it won't ever be fully possible, but to travel to as many different, I'd say, countries that we load from, because let's be honest, the ports are not always the most interesting places to visit, <laughs> but certainly to go to as many different countries, um, and I guess yes, ultimately the ports um, or terminals that we deal with. Well, uh, we're almost out of time, but I have my, I mean, who knows if it's popular or not. But my my final question is a is a bit of a, a sort of puzzle. I, I'm interested to see what you think about this. Let's say, unfortunately, that you cannot do the job that you're doing anymore. I'm afraid, mm-hmm. I, and I always like to stress to people they haven't been sacked. I don't know. Just uh, everything's done by computers now, so you can't you can't do the job itself. But um, fear not, because I would offer you three alternative jobs. What I'd like to know is which, if any of these, um, would you like to do or at least would like to do most out of the three, I suppose. Um, but specifically, why? What is it about you that makes you um, uh, suited to this sort of thing? I think my uh, three choices are going to be you can become a, an Olympic weightlifter. That's, that's choice number one. Uh, you, could, you could be a, a nursery teacher. Um, so a teacher, uh, but just uh, nursery ages, young kids. Or you could become a Formula One test driver. I'm not even sure that exists as a job. 
but I don't know. You've got to test out race cars. Mm. What would be the best for you? That's an interesting one. I think just after from the last couple of days, the messages I've received uh, from my best friends who currently have toddlers, uh, just hearing what little kids can get up to, I think I'm going to have to take away the nursery teacher. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm I would be capable <laughs> of, okay. of that. Then considering the other two, the Olympic weightlifter. It would be a good challenge, but you also have to be on it, do the routine every single day and make sure you do the work, which that's partly so that's partly why I like my current setup is that every day is a bit different and some days absolutely manic, um, but then other days can be a bit quieter. So I think more by process of elimination, I would say the Formula One test driver, however, I'm not sure how good I'd be at that um, because whenever I've gone go-karting which isn't often I've always come last but it would certainly be interesting to I think I just do, understand I wonder, things a bit more of how I, I, I'd more be interested probably in the technical side because I think I am a lot I, I would get a lot more involved in the the technical side of the shipping as well because once you start asking questions it is just fascinating what goes on so I think that would be the same for Formula One yeah, I think, I do wonder, it's, it's probably not the sort of job you can just have a go at. Why but not? maybe. Well, that's okay. That's a, <laughs> that's a fair point that, and, and a good response to, uh, to the question, I think. Well, unfortunately, um, we're out of time there, but thank you so much for speaking to me today, Sarah. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Ed. Well, how about that? Thanks to Sarah for chatting with me. Uh, lots of things unexplored, I felt. Uh, I maybe didn't quite get to the heart of some of the stuff that I was interested in. But frankly, that's just an excuse to get Sarah back for another episode somewhere down the line and to find out more. As always, uh, check out the main site and whatdoyoudo.co.uk for other episodes and supplementary information. Sarah kindly got back in touch after the interview with some links and things you might find interesting. So they're all going to be up there as well. Plus, as always, you can get in touch at and what do you do podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. But until then, uh, or until next time rather, take care. Speak soon. Mm-hmm.